since many have undertaken to compile a narrative of events that have been fulfilled among us, just as those who were eyewitnesses from the beginning and ministers of the word have handed them down to us, I too have decided after investigating everything accurately anew to write it down in an orderly sequence for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may realize the certainty of the teachings that you have received. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news of him spread throughout the whole region. He taught in their synagogues and was praised by all. He came to Nazareth, where he had grown up, and went according to his custom into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read and was handed a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the passage that was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring glad tidings to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To let the oppressed go free and to proclaim a year acceptable to the Lord. Rolling up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue looked intently at him. He said to them, Today, this scripture passage is fulfilled in your hearing. The Gospel of the Lord. So I, I got this email the other day that was really unexpected and incredible news, but now I can't find it. I don't know what I did. I know I, I didn't delete it because there's no way I would have deleted it, but I've gone through the list of emails and every f- file that's there. And the last thing I remember, I just clicked a little X in the corner to minimize it. And I knew I was saving it because I knew it was an important thing. All I needed was just to get some information. And I was going to get back to the guy who contacted me. But I, I didn't get right back to it. I got distracted. And now I don't know what I did with it. And I'm just so ticked off because I don't know how the guy found me in the first place. And now the opportunity has gone because I can't find the message. You see, this prince from Nigeria has this great <laughs> amount of money that he was reaching out to me. And like he said, like, he had $100 million. All I had to do was get my bank account information from him. It would have been great. First, I didn't win the Powerball. Now this, you know, it's just like you win some, you lose even more. But this whole Nigerian email scam thing or variations of it have been circulating around the Internet for, for years and years now. Most people will read it and they'll realize immediately it's a scam because they've heard stories of how people have gotten the same email believed it, and then were swindled out of thousands and thousands of dollars, some even up to about $10,000, which I guess in light of the millions you think you're getting is a drop in the bucket. We're understandably, understandably skeptical people. We hear or we read something like that, and we wish it were true. I mean, who wouldn't do a lot with $100 million? But most people learn pretty quickly the old adage that if it's too good to be true, then it probably is. 
For some, when they first heard the words that Jesus proclaims in the temple, in, in tonight's gospel, that's what came to their mind. Yeah, right, Jesus. He's the one that God's promising would bring glad tidings to the poor. This is the one who's going to bring liberty to captives and recovery of sight to the blind. This guy is the one who's going to let the oppressed go free. Mary and Joseph's son, right? The carpenter. Some were skeptical and dismissive and thought that it must be a scam. And sadly, many today still think the same thing. But there was an interesting part of the the gospel reading that we just heard before we even got to that scene of Jesus in the temple. We heard the introductory words from the gospel of Luke. And it probably sounded a, a bit awkward, especially if you didn't have it right in front of you, to realize that the gospel started with these first four verses from chapter one of Luke. And then we jumped three chapters. We you know, we just went through the Christmas season. So we went through all the Christmas stuff and we got to chapter four to get to this scene, which is the beginning of, of Jesus's preaching and teaching in Galilee. Why bother? Those first four verses don't seem that important to, to warrant our attention. It's basically like if you were to open a, a Stephen King book and see on the first pages to mom and dad or to someone who's important to him. We're reading Luke's dedication page. And just like we don't know the people that most authors dedicate their works to, we don't know who this guy Theophilus is. I mean, even the name Theophilus, like it sounds like a disease or, or, or a cure for one. Poor Theophilus, I'm sorry. But anyway, he, he's only mentioned here. And he's also mentioned in Luke's sequel to the gospel in the Acts of the Apostles, where he continues writing to him. But other than that, we have no historical information about him. We don't know who he is. So why does the church go out of its way to make sure that we we hear this dedication tonight? I think it's to remember that this gospel wasn't written by Luke thinking that one day, thousands of years later, there would be groups of people gathering to read this. He wasn't writing what he thought was a biography or some historical record recounting the occurrences of Jesus. This is St. Luke's authentic, passionate words to someone he cares about, to someone who is obviously an important person to Luke. He dedicates great care and thought and time and is basically saying, Theophilus, I know you've heard a lot of buzz about Jesus, and I want to share my passion. I want to share my experience, my life's witness to what I experienced. So Luke isn't simply trying to convince Theophilus to do something. He's not simply passing on information or or just sharing stories that he knows about Jesus. Luke is sharing what's moved him, what's transformed him. Luke's encounter with Christ was that important, and he cared that much for Theophilus that Luke organized all his memories, all his thoughts, as he says, and write it down in an orderly sequence for you so that you may realize the certainty of the teaching that you received. Those types of life-giving encounters didn't end with St. Luke or the people of that time. In every day and in every age since, countless numbers of people continue to have encounters with Jesus Christ. And we're amazed to realize how blindness is gone, 
how freedom is found, how the promises that are written in the deepest recesses of the human heart and soul are fulfilled in Jesus. A few years ago, when he was visiting uh, Philadelphia, Pope Francis shared one example as he told the story of one of their own, Catherine Drexel, or rather St. Catherine Drexel. This was a a woman who grew up in the mid-1800s to an incredibly wealthy family. In today's dollars, her family estate would be worth over $500 million. But she had also experienced a tremendous amount of loss. Her mother died three weeks after she was born. Her stepmother died when she was a young adult. And then a few years after that, her father died. So by her early 30s, she had boatloads of money, but she had lost basically her entire family. And at the same time, she was also this socialite in the Philadelphia scene. But she still had this tremendous loss and mourning that she was carrying. Her family had used a lot of their wealth to help with all sorts of charities and foundations, though, throughout her life. And Catherine was very moved by the plight of the Native American people and the African American people. So much so that even though she was still in deep grief at the death of her father, she went to Rome to visit Pope St. Leo XIII. You know you have a lot of money when you're able to get an audience with the Pope at that age. So, so she went to the Pope and she wanted this, him to send more religious orders or more missionaries to support the, the work that her family was already doing financially. And as she was advocating for this cause, the Pope listened to her, listened to her attentively and listened to her passion. And he pointedly stopped her at one point and he said, What about you? What are you going to do? And those words cut her to the heart. It completely changed her life. She remembered that by our baptisms, each and every one of us have become members, as as St. Paul said in that second reading, the body of Christ. Catherine recognized how each and every one of us has a responsibility, a mission in our own unique way to be the one who's going to share the good news of what Jesus brings, those glad tidings, the liberty, the recovery, the promises. And with that, Catherine shocked the entire world as the newspaper of that time said in a headline, Miss Drexel enters convent and gives up $7 million. Catherine would spend the rest of her entire life from age 33 till she passed away at 96 and the rest of her family fortune doing just that, serving others, proclaiming Jesus' good news, being his good news to people that need it the most. St. Luke and St. Catherine are just two examples of people whose lives bear witness to their encounter with Jesus, how in their poverty Jesus brought them glad tidings, how in the areas of their lives where they felt captive or imprisoned, Jesus was able to liberate them. And to whatever blindness they had experienced, there was a correction, there was a a restoration of vision. And whatever it was that was oppressing them, how Jesus was able to provide them that freedom. Fast forward to today, to here and now. It's said that here in the United States, the single largest religious denomination is the Roman Catholic Church. You want to guess what the second largest group is? Former Roman Catholics. 
And one of the fastest growing groups in the country is, is those who claim no religious affiliation whatsoever. And we could give all kinds of ample reasons why that's the case. And some are very valid and very legitimate points for that, for sure. But that's all pointing fingers and blame as we, we mourn or we can even be discouraged by those realities. Those words from Pope St. Leo to St. Catherine should be ringing in our ears and in our hearts and cause some self-reflection. What about you? What are you going to do? Do we have this personal relationship with Jesus? Have we experienced him and been transformed by him? So often we can approach the sacraments or even come to mass like a just a, a simply a weekly obligation. Like I have to get my gas tank filled. So I got to get my spiritual stuff done for the week. And we can sometimes have an equal sense of passion for both of those things. But do we remember what our God has done and is continuing to do for us? How Jesus continues to come to us to proclaim glad tidings to those in poverty. For those of us in this, this first world country of the United States, that poverty is different, almost more urgent though. Mother Teresa once said that here in the United States, there is more of a hunger for love and appreciation than there is for bread. Well, Jesus wants to heal that. And Jesus continues to want to free us from the imprisonment that we feel when sin causes us to have blindness, that we could see how self-focused or self-involved or even self-deluded we can become, where we ignore the pains and sufferings of those around us. Jesus' proclamation of freedom is still awaiting that selfish sharing of every one of us to relieve the world's oppression. That's Jesus' mission. And that's his mission for us. But it's not going to simply happen because we made it here to Mass to hear these words tonight. St. Luke and St. Catherine aren't like some anonymous Nigerian prince emailing lofty promises to unsuspecting victims to try to pull some scan on some people. Their very lives give testimony to how they encountered Jesus and how that encounter caused them to, to lay down the lives they had been living to this new life with him. And that resulted in us hearing these glad tidings here and now. That Jesus is the one we've all been waiting for. God's son has come among us. As we hear the gospel being proclaimed and as we consume Jesus' body and blood in the Eucharist. The question needs to resonate in each and every one of our hearts. What about you? What are you going to do? What is Jesus putting on your heart right here and right now? Can you think about different times and spaces that would have been desolate without him? Can we see how our, our lives are different because we too have encountered the God incarnate in Jesus? And even more important, have we shared that hope and joy with someone else? There's a world full of Theophiluses out there who are waiting for a St. Luke or a St. Catherine, or rather for you and I, to share our lives, to share our witness to the difference that Jesus Christ has made for us and the good news that he offers to the whole world.